You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game-changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. Welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown. And I'm here today with Mike Dillard, who is an all-star entrepreneur, online marketer, uh, philanthropist, and also the host of the Self-Made Man podcast, which has reached over 2.5 million plays and downloads. Uh, Crazy, crazy stuff. Mike, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. Yeah, glad to be here, Joel. It's good to see you again, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I remember probably about, oh, what was it, three years ago, you had me on your podcast? Uh, yeah, not, not that long. It's probably about a year, year and a half ago. You're, you're definitely one of the first episodes we've had. I think we just now hit about 100, episode 100, somewhere in the last couple of weeks. So um, yeah, it's been fun, man. Thanks for, thanks for coming on back then and, and helping us get our start. Crazy stuff, mate. Uh, you've had a, a pretty amazing guest on the show too. You had Lewis Howes, you had uh, Gene Simmons. Mm, I yeah. saw that. I was like, wow, that's, that's a good score, man, to get him on your show. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Tom Bill, you and a number of other incredible uh, entrepreneurs and, uh, and, and uh, figures. Now, Mike, give us just in a nutshell, really what you're all about when it comes to your business and your brand. What are you representing and what, what's this all about for you? You know, it's interesting. I've been in a <laughs> I've been an interesting period of during my career for the last five years. Uh, I had a, a company in the financial education space that I started back in 2010. I was, uh, it was quite successful. We did about $3.2 million in revenue in our first seven days. Uh, we built that up to a, an eight-figure business in 12 months. And I eventually sold that to my founder, I believe in 2014. And at that point, I needed to really figure out what I was going to do next. So I had two passions on my mind at the time. The first was the organic food and farming industry. Uh, I'm a big fan and friend of Peter Diamandis's, And I wanted to spend the next phase of my career really disrupting, you know, a particular legacy industry like agriculture and doing something new. And that's really been, been the big focus uh, for me during my career is every time I I finish up with a business and I start something new, I have to make sure that I'm pushing myself in a new way to do something different that is a challenge and not doing just more of the same. And so in 2015 uh, or into 2014, I started to develop uh, the world's first fully automated hydroponic system that would essentially, you know, grow all of your organic veggies in your house and it would bypass the entire ag industry. It would get rid of the land, the farm, the pesticides, get rid of the distribution centers, get rid of the produce sections in your grocery store. And as a result of that, you can reduce food costs by 80 to 90% if the entire process takes place from beginning to end in your living room. And so that was something that I'd never done before. I, I was passionate passionate about clean food and I saw a problem that needed to be solved, but I'd never developed a tech product. I didn't know anything about farming. So the first thing I did was was go on Amazon and buy five books on hydroponics uh, to start learning, you know, the lingo and just the language of that world. Uh, And then I started Googling industrial design firms, never designed a physical product ever in my life. So I literally started on Google and started cold calling design firms here in Austin and then expanded that to different parts of the country. Um, and I just started to share this idea with those, those firms. And I found one in Silicon Valley called, um, how can I not remember their name now right now? <laughs> um, it'll, it'll, it'll totally come, come to me in my head. I can't believe I can't think of this right now. Um, and anyway, they've designed some fantastic products that we all know, like uh, a drop cam. They've designed the Nike Fuel Band and have just done a lot of uh, phenomenal work. So I hired them and we started to develop this product from scratch. Literally ideas that I put in a notebook with pen and pencil. And we eventually, after two years, designed uh, the prototype, which is sitting in my living room just a couple of yards away uh, from us here. 
And it's a system that will grow 36 plants at a time. It's fully automated. You don't have to do anything. It has a Wi-Fi antenna and an app, and it just kind of tells you when it needs you know you to swap out nutrient bottles or add water. And it'll grow about four grand a year in food for 400 bucks. So mission wow. accomplished from a from an objective standpoint. What I didn't count on, though I knew was was very likely, was the amount of money that it would take to get that product uh, to a production ready state. So the goal was to develop the prototype, get it to production ready, test it, uh, and then launch a pre-sale campaign, uh, essentially for the first you know, five to 10,000 units. The challenge is after two years, I'd personally put a million bucks into the development of the product, which when we started was estimated to be about 500,000. And for that million bucks, I had a single prototype. And when we got to that stage, okay, what do we still need to do to get this to a production ready state? And you don't want to ever launch <clears throat> a physical product like that on a, on a Kickstarter campaign without having gone through 99% of that process. You've tested the assembly line, you've done the tooling, you've got 100 to 200 units already made and tested for durability and, and usability and things like that. Uh, because I've just seen too many other companies, the coolest cooler in particular, uh, launch too early, run into manufacturing delays, uh, run out of money and pissing everybody off. And it's just not what you want to do. So that was our milestone. And to get to that milestone of a production ready state was going to cost another $2.5 million. Uh, the tooling alone was 800 grand. So at that point, I had a, a decision to make, which was, uh, you know, either pull the plug because even, you know, even I didn't have that much free cash just sitting in a bank account that I was willing to put into that or to go raise money. And at that stage, when I was making that decision, uh, a competitor, uh, Click and Grow, came out with a large format product. And by large format, I mean higher, higher quantity product of a, a similar type. And previously, they'd only had a, a little desktop system that grew three plants at a time. And within the space of about 90 days, they launched a system that grew nine plants, 35 plants, and 51 plants. And the, the bad news was is that it really trumped what I'd been developing in every category. It was less expensive. It was easier to use. Um, it was more durable. And it grew more plants for less money. And so at that point, you know, I had, to, I had to make a really big decision, which is, am I willing to take on money from friends and family members and, and associates and peers and risk that money to develop a product that in my mind was now in second place in the market? And the answer to that question was, no, I wasn't willing to do that. So uh, at that point, I had to make the decision to essentially pull the plug on the idea and uh, have a million dollar, you know, tower, uh, you know, garden here in, uh, in my living room, which is a, a really good reminder of some very big, valuable lessons learned. But it was an unbelievably cool part of my career. I got to, you know, officially say I was partners with Peter Diamandis and, and developed the world's first automated hydroponic system. And uh, so that was, uh, that was the last two to three years of my life. And once that chapter was over, the next question was, you know, what's next? And the piece that I had been working on this entire time was obviously self-made man and the podcast and things like that. So with that change in priority, self-made became number one. And that really has become my primary focus now over the last six months. And for me, the, the goal and the vision for that now is how can I turn self-made man into the single biggest, you know, education platform and source of, of knowledge and skills for entrepreneurs that exists. So that's been my primary focus now, and, and we've got a lot of stuff in the works that'll be coming out towards the end of the year. We're producing a lot of new educational content, a lot of new lessons, but everything that we're producing is in VR, right? So not only are we filming it with traditional cameras, but we're also filming everything in 360 VR so that two years from now, when um, that's a more, a more common tool set or, or way of uh, experiencing you know, media, uh, everything that we've done up until that point will be, will be ready and you'll be able to put on a helmet and sit in our classroom in our audience right next to me and, and learn. So, wow, that's amazing, man. That's the future yeah. right there. Wow. And stuff, a few things came up for me when you were sharing your story and thanks for sharing. I really appreciate that.
One of them was, I love that you went and you found books on hydroponics, like the top ones, and you started reading. I remember I was in a uh, Reddit AMA session. Uh, Elon Musk was in there and someone asked him, you know, Elon, if you don't have this background in rocket science, how did you get to you know create spacex and what did you have to do to really launch this rocket to the middle of the ocean and land it on this tiny platform and and he said essentially that uh the way he sees learning skills is he looks at it like a tree and he said with every industry that you're in you've got to learn the basics the foundations so he went around and asked and and did his research to find what was the number one book that he could read on rocket science so he found that he started reading that he got the basics down then with the intermediate uh he went and paid for mentors to teach him about it and then the advanced is he would hire people to do the advanced things and he said the 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 basic was like a tree trunk the intermediate was like the branches and the advanced is like the leaves on the tree yeah. and he said you can have a strong standing tree with no leaves he said but really if you want it to look really great and to really you know wrap it up and finish it up then you hire people to sprinkle the, you know, the, the 5%, whatever's left on top for the super advanced. I just thought it was a really cool concept. It sounds like you embrace that without even knowing that. And uh, it's, well, you know, people, people, I think when they're just starting out that, you know, the, whoever's successful in their industry was just kind of born with it, or they've just had this natural born talent or knowledge or base or whatever it may be. And, uh, and it's just not the case. And, and that's, what you have to go through. So I think the beginning of any endeavor starts with a book, no matter what. And I'll always remember a lesson from Richard Branson, who had a similar story when he started, you know, Virgin Airlines. It's like, you know, when we, I've been to Necker with Branson twice now, and we're talking about this, you know, in, in a circle in person. And he's going through his story of how he started the airline. And he's like, the first thing we did for 48 hours was to go buy every single book we could on, on how to run an airline. And he and his uh, you know, business partner, potential CEO at the time, literally just sat on Necker reading books for two or three days, trying to figure out how the industry worked. And it went from there. And, and, you know, before that he owned a record company. So he doesn't know Jack about running an airline, but you just have to go out and acquire the knowledge and books are the single most efficient way to do that on the planet. You know, you can't, it's amazing that you can acquire somebody's lifetime of knowledge for 20 bucks. It's unbelievable. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah I actually had uh, Yannick Silva uh, mm. on the show, who I know that you're good friends with too. Mm. Were you guys hanging out on Necker Island together? Is that where yeah. you met? Yeah, my first time to Necker was with Yannick, and, uh, and that was a, a, an adventure I will absolutely never forget. Uh, life-changing. Necker's my single favorite place on the planet. Um, yeah, I mean, if uh, if I could die and, and have my ashes sprinkled somewhere, it would be Necker Island. So, <laughs> <laughs> what what did you learn from uh, Richard Branson in that process? You know, uh, besides that lesson, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say well, there's one particular thing, but I'm also gonna say not a lot. And the reason why is that Branson is a learner. He'll sit with us for three hours in a mastermind group and not say a word. Uh, but he'll just sit there and listen and take notes the entire time. So he doesn't say very much, which is a, a really big clue uh, in and of itself. But, you know, the biggest takeaway that I had was the fact that his number one focus is just people. It's culture and hiring the right people and making sure that that's done correctly. And if you do that, everything else kind of takes care of itself. And it's absolutely evident just through experiencing the staff on Necker Island and the quality of human beings and people that they are and their attitude. Um, it's very different and it's very special as far as what he's been able to create from a, a culture and a people perspective. So for me, I, I'm always keeping that in the, in the back of my head, which is if I can simply become, and this is a transition I'm going through right now in my career, because if you don't master this, you'll never get past this sole proprietor type of you know, solo entrepreneur type deal. But my biggest priority right now is how do I become a collector of superheroes? And that's a question I ask every single day is how do I become a collection, a collector of superheroes uh, and other people? And if I can figure out how to do that successfully, the rest will take care of itself. So. Right, right. Yeah. You have your, your SWAT team or your justice league or your X-Men or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. it. It's just, 
it's just collect awesome, super, super people. And anything is possible if you do that, which is exactly what Elon did for, for SpaceX and Tesla. Yeah, there you go. Awesome stuff. So Mike, I have seen a video floating around on Facebook of yours. It's a great video. I love how you put it all together. You've obviously put the time and the effort into filming it and getting a lot of different angles and the B-roll and everything. It has millions of views. Uh, how did you go about marketing that and what was your intention behind it? Which video is it? Uh, I think <laughs> it, was it was like a day in the life of an entrepreneur, okay, something so like that. Me yeah. Traveling in the airport and stuff. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So in order to fund Evergrow, uh, you know, I knew what I needed to make on my, on my publishing and education company in order to fund that. Right. So roughly Evergrow's development was probably going to be around 80 to hundred grand a month on average. And in order to produce that from a profit perspective, that means traditionally in the online world, you've got to have a business that's making around 400 grand a month in gross revenue, right? And you've got your ad spend, your overhead and your refunds out of that and things like that. So, uh, so that was, a mentoring series essentially that I did for self-made man where I wanted to make entrepreneurial education more interesting. I didn't want to have people come in to a studio and just sit there with two chairs and interview each other. Um, so my goal was to basically let's grab a videographer and let's do this almost vlog style where I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to go travel out to people that I learn from and that I consider mentors or that I work with and who bring a lot of value to my life. And so that's how we did it. We, I just hired a videographer. Uh, his name's Jeff Hart out of uh, LA. He's worked on Transformers, Batman, Spider-Man, all kinds of absolutely phenomenal movies. And wow. he and I did it guerrilla style where we, we jump on a plane, you know, carry five bags of camera gear, set up shop at, at a founder's office somewhere uh, for a couple of hours and, and capture some, um, you know, amazing words of wisdom. And, uh, that was it. We did 12 sessions. It was a, a year long project and we sold access to that, uh, for $47 a month. And, uh, it was a really, really cool experience. I haven't had that open for probably six to nine months now after the original group of students went through it. And, um, but that's something, the, the content that we took from that and produced from that will be a part of, of the new, you know, project and platform that we're building right now for self-made, uh, coming out in a few months. So. Right, right. That's good. Yeah. I think a lot of people get confused when it comes to course creation and, and online education, they kind of feel like they need to launch a product all the time. We've got to launch this product, go launch this product, not knowing that they can use what they already have at times as well as a, you know, additional material to really make it a juicy uh, product in itself. Uh, for the next one you know the most the two most successful revenue producing products that i've ever created have all been sold via webinars so webinars have yeah. been the single most effective way to sell a product that i've ever used uh to the point where you know the financial education company that i had was it was a membership you know site very similar in in of a business model new lesson every month with experts in that world and you know, we ended up doing like $25 million in revenue in the first two or three years just from one single webinar. Um, that's crazy. So that's... Do you feel like you could do that nowadays? Uh, yeah. Webinar, like the, the attention has shifted quite a bit, right? Yeah, a no, lot of people are like this with their Insta stories and their Facebook lives. Yeah, you know, it just depends on what you're selling, right? So for the last two years, I've been selling a list building course and you know, as I was getting started with Evergrow, it's like, I need to, to raise some money here to kick off the development of this and to keep it rolling. And so I, I spent about three months putting together a really comprehensive course on how do you build a large email list in an audience. And I sold that via a webinar, which I've continued to sell to this day. Uh, you know, we sell anywhere from three to four or $500,000 a month of that product every single, every single month. Um, and that's all done via an online webinar. And so you're not going to get a lot of sales through a webinar, but that product is $1,500. So if you get 10 sales a day, that's $15,000 a day in revenue. That's all you need, right? So mm. it's for a very specific type of person. I don't use social media at all. 
Uh, I have an Instagram account. I have a YouTube account and Twitter. But if you follow me on those, you know that I don't hardly ever post on any of them, let alone sell through those. So um, I think at the end of the day, what people are worried about most is not having their time wasted. So on the webinars I produce, I make sure that they exceed people's expectations from a value perspective. I don't say here's three secrets I'm going to teach you. And then here's the first two. And now to get the third, you have to buy my product because that just <laughs> pisses people off. Right. And on Facebook yeah. ads, they can leave comments. So, um, the, the methodology and the approach that I've used, that's been extremely successful is on a webinar, give away everything. So on our list building webinar, I walk you through the entire process. Like I show you my ads, I show you the numbers, I show you the math, I show you everything and I show you exactly how all of it is done. So you can watch the webinar and walk away and apply that methodology for your, on your own if you want. Uh, but at the end of the day, 90 to 95% of people still aren't going to know exactly how to implement it. So at the end of the webinar, like, hey, you guys, you have the formula now. You can go run with it. But if you'd like someone's help, if you'd like my help actually putting this together and implementing it for your business, I'd be happy to show you how to do that. We have a class called Listgrow. Um, and that's the entire approach. And I get comments every single day on our Facebook ads that are like, this is the best webinar I've ever seen. And that's what you want. Uh, and it's also conducive to a high conversion rate for people buying because they feel... Uh, and they've experienced now your knowledge, the value that you have to offer. They don't feel like you've tried to, uh, you know, scam them in any way. They can see that you're authentic and that you're really there to help. Um, and then a second piece to the puzzle that we've implemented over the last year as well as we get into an ever-increasing uh, environment that has an ever-increasing amount of authenticity and transparency um, is something we call the completion challenge. So, you know, my, if my purpose in life is to really help entrepreneurs achieve success in whatever industry that they're in, and that's, uh, that's actually true and, and, and an authentic desire, then I need to have a business model that's congruent with that. And so mm -hmm. if my sole goal is to help create successful entrepreneurs, then, and, and it's not to make money, then how can we communicate that to our audience uh, uh, in an authentic manner? So, the completion challenge we started about a year and a half ago with the list uh, grow course. And uh, I basically said, if you finish this, you've got 12 months. If you finish it and you send me a link to your finished funnel, you know, following our steps, I'll give you hundred percent of your money back. So for us, we can say that's how we're congruent and authentically aligned with our true purpose here, which is to, which is to, birth successful entrepreneurs rather than to just make money. And the market's really responded to that in a, in a very strong way. And it's just made us even more successful. Um, you know, every single day I get someone who submits a challenge, we send them a check, they send us a testimonial because they can't believe that we actually send them the money back. <laughs> so, um, and we, <laughs> you know, a true awesome. fan base for life at that point, uh, because no one else has been willing to do that. So, you know, those are some of the things that we've done over the last two years that have been really, really successful. And I think the, you know, the strategies that we've implemented uh, around those have, have worked well. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I appreciate your transparency as well. I know you, sometimes you hear these, uh, you know, online marketers and they say, oh, we just hit like a, you know, $10 million a day. And then you realize they spent about like 9 million on Facebook ads and that, or, or they're breaking a ton of it away for affiliates and you don't really know how much they're actually making. Yeah. And it, it creates this like fantasy that other people start living in thinking that they can do the same thing when they can't. So uh, I actually saw the comments under your uh, webinars and under your, your Facebook ads and people were giving you mad props uh, for, for being transparent. So it's, yeah. uh, it's refreshing, man. Yeah. I just don't think you have a choice these days. I think if you don't do you don't. that, you're going to get absolutely eaten alive. And if you do do it, it's a really easy way to stand out, uh, you know, right. from everybody else out there. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So Mike, you have some pretty interesting, uh, characters on your podcast. Can you give us a little bit of a, uh, just a breakdown on how you are able to score, interviews with some of these incredible people what's your process 
<laughs> it's not and, I, and I know it's different because like sometimes I meet people and then and sometimes people introduce me and sometimes I like Tony Robbins I reached out to him a, a literally about nine or ten times until he said yes so it's a different you know, process it's for gonna be, I think my answer is going to be a little disappointing um, <laughs> so you have to if you're thinking about starting a podcast you have to know what your actual objective for the show is and for me, when I started the podcast, I started it because I needed a way to deliver value and to stay in front of my audience on a regular basis that did not take up a lot of my time because uh, my focus was Evergrow, right? So uh, at the same time, I couldn't disappear for two years. And so what was the most efficient way to check both of those boxes? And the answer was to start a podcast because other people are delivering the content. I just have to show up for an hour a week and that's it. And so that's why I started it. And I didn't start the podcast to build a podcast or to build an audience in that realm like Lewis has. I started it to deliver value to my existing audience. And so I think that's a really important thing that people need to know. If I had set out to start a podcast to build it into some massive show and to make that the cornerstone or the foundation of my business, um, I'd be doing things differently, but that's, that has you, not you'd been, you'd be absolutely kicking ass. I can tell because you're already kicking ass and you are just kind of like smooth yeah. running with it right now. Well, yeah. kind of, but that's the, that's the advantage, right? Like I have an advantage, which is the day I launched the podcast, I had an email list of like 300,000 people, you know? Mm. So I was just delivering the show to those folks. We've, we've really never advertised it. I don't, I'll have guests on like you do every week. I never even ask them to share the show. Um, I don't advertise on it. I don't monetize it. Uh, I do about 30 to 60 minutes of prep before each episode. And yeah. in fact, we talked about Reddit at the beginning, right before our interview. Now I just finished up interviewing, uh, the founder of Reddit, Alexis, uh, Ohanian. And oh, nice. so I just spent, you know, an hour, hour and a half for him this morning. Cause he's a, you know, big VIP guest to learn all about him that I could, but that's about, all of the effort that I really put into it on a weekly basis. And again, it's just a platform for the guests to deliver their value. Um, mm. You know, as far as, as far as booking people and that stuff goes, I've got two, uh, two people that I just pay a, a per episode fee for, for booking guests. They know who I'm looking for. They know the kind of guests that I want on the show and the secret, you know, the, the chicken or the egg here issue is, Obviously, the bigger show is, the easier it is to get bigger guests. And it's simply a matter of ROI for them. Is coming on your show and spending an hour with you worth their time? And if you've got an audience of 3,000 people, probably not. But if it's 300,000, the answer is yeah. Um, but how do you build a big show without some big guests, right? So, um, and I sat down and when I first was coming up with the podcast and was going to start that, I, I spent some time on the phone with Lewis Howes and, and asking him like, hey, what's the secret to success here with a podcast? And he's, the first piece he said was, unless you're willing to stick with it for at least one to two years consistently, don't even bother starting. It is a platform mm. and a medium that requires uh, time to build up an audience base and consistency and super fans and numbers. And he's like, you've got to have a show at least once a week and you have to do it for two years or don't bother. And so I went into it with that expectation and uh, it's been absolutely true. You know, every single episode, what's interesting about podcasts is they have a very long tail, meaning every single episode that I did in the first, you know, couple of months is still being downloaded dozens and dozens of time, times every single day today, still two years later, right? So those tales and those episodes add up over time. It's not like an email where within three days it's gone forever and it's not going to get clicked on or viewed anymore. Podcasts last a long time. They're very evergreen. So once you get up to a hundred episodes, you've got a lot of download numbers coming in. Even if it's not a, a very large number of unique listeners, they're, you know, those numbers are going to add up. So, um, and then it's a credibility game. If you can go out and get one VIP like a Tony Robbins or like a Damon John or whatever, that you can then put in your invitations to your next guests of like, hey, by the way, Damon John and Tony Robbins and Gene Simmons have been on the show previously. Then all of a sudden it becomes a much safer bet and decision for those other individuals. We're like, oh, okay, this is a real show. Sure, I'll be on, right? And so even if you have to go out and 
pay a PR firm or whatever, a headhunter's fee or whatever to get those first VIPs, uh, then do it. You know, we paid uh, uh, Gene Simmons PR firm uh, a couple of grand to get Gene on, right? And the reason I wanted that is like, I think having Gene Simmons or someone at his level on the show will take the show's credibility to a new level. And it'll, again, create that upward spiral of credibility and uh, help us get even more guests and bigger guests. So, you know, that's the way I've approached it. If I was starting a podcast from scratch, I don't, I don't think I would. Uh, the market is very, very crowded and it's very hard to do something incredibly unique unless you have some previous experiences in life that are incredibly unique and you have a lot of value in and of yourself for whatever niche you're going to start your show in. Starting a show based on an interview format, who cares? Like it's being done a thousand times every single day right now and you're just going to fall into the noise. So if you're going to start one, make sure there's an aspect of it that's incredibly unique, that's going to stand out. Um, And if that's the case, then great. If it's not the case, then I probably wouldn't put time into developing a podcast if that's going to be your platform. If you want to start a podcast for an existing audience like I have, that's maybe on email or whatever it may be, or you just have an existing customer base that wants to hear from you, it's a fantastic thing to do. Uh, It's an absolutely fantastic way to continue to communicate with your audience and with your customer base. Yeah, Mike, great advice. Thanks for sharing that, mate. I really appreciate it. One of the things I wanted to add to that too, uh, just from my own experience is that two things actually, uh, I, I like that you were also transparent about, uh, you know, paying for it to happen because yeah, some people in a sense, yeah, you may have to put some money down and make that investment. Uh, for me, I remember the first time I interviewed Gary Vaynerchuk, reached out to him. He was a fan of Addicted to Success and knew about us, but still that wasn't enough. He's like, my book's coming out soon. So I was like, cool, I'll buy 50 copies. You know, and I think at that time, I got it at a special price. It was probably about a, a thousand bucks. But that interview, I flew to New York for that because I was like, all right, I got an interview with him. This is about four years ago. I filmed it while I was interviewing him, extracted the audio from that. That video now has 120,000 something views organically on YouTube uh, and the podcast episode, maybe 40,000, 50,000 plays. And I still, to this day, have people that come to me, that come to my events, that buy my products. They're like, I first saw you on that Gary Vaynerchuk interview. So I've already made the return on that investment. <laughs> yeah, cool. I, I did the same. I bought, I went, uh, I went even deeper and I bought what a, whatever he offered, like an hour, hour and a half of his time for 15,000 books. Um, oh, I think, well, I bought, there you go. I think I bought that or something, maybe 5,000. It was a lot. It was a substantial it was a substantial uh, amount. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was $15,000 that I spent and it was a thousand books. I don't remember, but I know it was a significant amount of books bought. Um, and it's for the same way. And I totally get it. Like if you, you know, someone was hitting me up on Facebook Messenger yesterday who just saw my ad and who had a bunch of questions or whatever it may be. And they're asking this question, okay, I have an e-commerce store. How do I build it? And I'm like, dude, that's like asking, literally my comment was, that's like asking Elon Musk how to build a rocket ship. <laughs> and I was like, yes. if you want, and then he's like, well, I can see that, you know, you don't really care about answering your, your, your people's questions or whatever. And you're just, you know, oh, probably no just in it for the money. And I was like, look, dude, I don't know you. You're sitting here asking me questions that would take weeks to answer. And you're not even a customer of mine. I was like, if you want my time, become a customer because they're the ones who deserve it. Right. So, uh, right. I don't deserve Gary's time. Like I can go and earn it and support him and, and put some money behind that and, and help serve him in whatever way that he's looking for. Uh, you know, but that's, that's the way you go about it is you've got to earn whatever you want. So. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. The, the other thing I was going to say as well to that is when you do, if you're listening right now and you are going the podcast route or you're thinking about it and now you've got a good game plan, and you're ready to commit for at least a two year minimum, I would say start tracking, find a way to track uh, link clicks or people going to a page for someone's book. Like what I do sometimes is I'll promote uh, an article that has the SoundCloud link or the, you know, the podcast link in it as an embedded player. And uh, there's a link to their Amazon page to get their book. And you can, you can set up an affiliate link. You can use a Google URL shortener and you can track the amount of clicks. 
Uh, Daniel De Piazza just launched his book, uh, Rich 20 something, something like that. And uh, I set up a link for it and I sent over, I think I sent about 1500 people uh, to his Amazon page and mm. we sold about 120 books. So, and so like, because I've measured that now, Daniel's like, this is dope, man. Like I, I want to like do some more things with you to see if we can move, move more books. Now I get to also show other people that are authors, how we can track it and what kind of numbers we're getting. So they're more inclined to say yes, because everyone's favorite radio station is W I I F M what's in it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you got to find how you can exchange sure. that value for sure. You know, and, and we boost, uh, we boost all of our, our posts. And when we release an episode every Wednesday, uh, you know, we, we mm. share it on our business fan page and then we boost that. And I, I spend 300 to 500 bucks every week to boost those posts. And that, you know, usually results in anywhere from 10,000 to 40,000 likes, uh, you know, for that amount of money. And when people go to our blog and they see our previous episodes, um, <laughs> the funny part is, is I think I forgot to, to boost the last the last one we put up. So people are going to probably go there now and see like, what are you talking about? But if you go through <laughs> the number of shares, you know, is, is typically 10,000 plus shares. And when potential guests are coming to our site to check us out, it's a very different impression that it leaves than like, Hey, they've got 50 shares. Like if people invite me right. to, to be on their podcast and I go look up their, their blog role essentially of previous episodes and they don't have any activity there. I'm just like, I can't do it, man. Like there's nobody's paying attention to what you're producing right now. Um, mm. So that's that level of proof. And that kind of proof is really, really important. So, right. Right. Yeah. And that, that goes back to in the beginning, you're going to want to put some money down. I I've stopped saying yes to people that read, cause there's a lot of people launching podcasts. I think the number that I heard a couple uh, months ago, and this isn't to turn anybody away. You know, I would never deter you from your dreams, but there's like 400,000 podcasters now. So know that you're going to have to put some skin in the game. You're going to have to put some money down to really get some reach. But I don't say yes to people that are just starting out because I ask them straight away. If they, they want to interview me, I go, what's your numbers? Yeah. You know, yeah. Or sure. if you got on there, like, are you willing to push this? Because I'm giving you an hour of my time. And if you get me zero plays or even like one play, it's, it's not worth my time. You know, I want to reach more people. I'm about that high effective impact. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, that's, uh, and I think that's good. I do the exact same thing. It, you know, I've had a couple of really young entrepreneurs want to have me uh, on their new show. Let's say they're 18, 19, 20 years old, which I think is great. So I'll be like, hey man, go out and get, you know, get your page, your Facebook fan page up to 5,000 fans and then call me and then I'll, and then I'll do it with you just to see if they're going to actually go out and do it. And, uh, one of them did like a year later and I was like, awesome brother, let's do it. You know? So yeah, nice. it's just, it's the, it's the reality of the situation. So the, the biggest thing that you need to worry about is how are you going to stand out in a very crowded marketplace and how are you going to get people's attention? And it's not the beginning of any of these platforms or mediums anymore. So, um, you're going to have to be creative and, uh, and dogged in your, in your pursuit, uh, you know, over the next couple of years. So the good news is 90% of all these new podcasts are going to be gone within a year. They're not mm -hmm. going to, they're not going to last the test, the, you know, the test of time. And so if you make it to three years, just on that alone, you're going to be in the top 10% of, of your niche. Uh, so. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I remember when you interviewed me a little while back, I was talking about this with you. I said that I had friends that would come to me and ask me how to create a website like Addicted to Success. I'd help them. And then like three months later, they give up and say, this is crap. This isn't working. I'm not making money for my ads. And I'm like, are you serious? I didn't make any money for at least the first 15 months. So it's, you, you got to be patient. Yeah, no, that's great. I love it. I love it. It keeps, yeah. uh, it keeps the riffraff yeah. out. <laughs> so that's it, right? Yeah, it's a good filter. Uh, so Mike, just because I think a lot of listeners right now are probably thinking, you said that you uh, boost your posts. You said around what, 300 to $500 a post. Yeah. Is there anything specific that they need to do when they boost a post? Are you using like keywords? Uh, is there any way that you target with the boost posts? Or No, I, you know, uh, from a targeting standpoint, I have you know, I think I have it set up as, you know, my fans, uh, and then friends and friends of friends. And, uh, and then it's, 
you know, English speaking countries, essentially, probably 10 or 15 of the biggest yeah. English speaking countries. So it's, it's fairly broad. I got to be honest, I'm not super sophisticated with it. I don't do my Facebook ad campaigns. I have an agency that does that. And so I, I am the one who does, who, who does share the podcast episodes. So I do the boost. I could totally be screwing it up, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I've set it up to the best of my ability. And, uh, and that's typically what we get. And, um, you know, what's interesting is I found that the attention that the, the boosts get on Facebook, it gets a lot of likes. It doesn't necessarily translate into listens. So, you know, for example, a lot of the episodes have gotten 30 plus thousand likes. Uh, and yet the total number of downloads might be 20,000 for that episode. And so I thought that was really interesting, but, uh, at the end of the day mm. with Facebook, you have to pay to play. And I want to make sure that my fans and my audience get to see, you know, the work that I'm producing for them at least once a week. So that's the goal for me, uh, is to just stay in front of my audience, uh, on a regular basis. And, um, you know, for me, that's worth a couple hundred bucks a week for sure. So. Right, right. And I also noticed on your, your Facebook uh, fan page, you're up at around, you're getting close to 100,000 mm. uh, followers on your likes on your, your fan page. Most of that would be because people have seen the posts that you've boosted and then they've come through for the most part. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess no. I'm going to guess that the primary likes that are coming from that because, because we're pushing those to people who've already liked the page, right? for the most part. So I want to say the majority of those come from the webinar registration page that we're promoting via our ads. So on the registration page below the button, we have our little Facebook, you know, like widget uh, from a social proof perspective that says, you know, 75,000 people like this or whatever. And that to me is an important part of that registration page because it does communicate to people like, oh, this company has 75,000 fans. They've got to be legitimate in some form or fashion you know, right. So, uh, there's a like button on that. I think a lot of the likes come from, from that mechanism. Uh, I'm not hundred percent positive, but if I had to guess, that's what I would, I would assume it's from. Right. Yeah. That's such a great point. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Mike, what would you say has been the biggest breakthrough for you in your life? Uh, acquiring new skill sets, acquiring a, a skill set. You know, the people are always asking me what's the biggest secret to success and, the entire philosophy around self-made man is uh, around the truth that I discovered 10, 15 years ago, which is the fact that uh, if you want to build something successful, uh, as far as a business owner goes, you have to acquire the skills that will allow you to, to do that and to execute, right? So in the beginning of first five years of my career, starting in high school through college, I used to chase opportunities and I used to think opportunities or products or marketing gimmicks would, uh, you know, bring results. And after five years of doing that unsuccessfully, I finally succumbed to the fact that if you want to achieve a certain result, you have to become one who's become someone who's capable of achieving that result. And so if I wanted to become an entrepreneur and make money, I had to, okay, invest in myself and actually go acquire new sets of skills. So uh, I started with copywriting and then I taught myself Google AdWords and I learned those two skill sets. And previously five years of making zero money. Uh, within 18 months after learning those skill sets, uh, I had built a seven figure business. And so that's it. It's empowering yourself with abilities that allow you to bring your dreams to life and, and to do so in a successful, practical manner. Um, so if you're stuck, you know, if you're not getting the results that you want, it simply means that you don't have the abilities to go out and produce the result that you're looking for. Um, maybe that's mastering Facebook ads, maybe it's mastering Instagram or YouTube or content production or videography or whatever it may be. But until you master something and become so good at it that you have value to offer other people, then you don't deserve to get paid. Like the world's not going to pay you for being mediocre. <laughs> so, um, yep. that's the way, that's the only way that I've ever found, uh, to become successful and to make more money than you're making now and, and to make an impact on people. So. That's it. Go master a skill set. Great answer. Great answer. I love it. Uh, Mike, what does it mean to be self-made to you? What's your definition of self-made? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I get a lot of shit for that <laughs> because everyone's like, there's no such thing as a self-made man. And it's a blessing and a curse of that brand 
you know, the blessing is that it's been around since Benjamin Franklin coined the term and, you know, hundred plus years ago. Um, and the, the downside is that it is absolutely true. There is no such thing as a self-made man. So it comes across as kind of arrogant. So I have to at least try to educate people on what my definition of a self-made man is. And, uh, you know, that is basically the fact that it is correct. You can't do anything on your own, but my definition of that is that, uh, being self-made is a moment of decision. So it is the moment when you decide to take responsibility for your life and your destiny and what you want to accomplish. And that is something that cannot come from anywhere else but you. It can't come from a person, a family member, a friend, or anywhere. That is a very internal, intimate decision that you have to make. And at that point, you're making the decision to transform your life and to take responsibility for the results you get and to forge your destiny, as we like to say, right? So that's it. That's the moment you become self-made. And then once you've made that decision and that shift, now you have to rally the world around you and the help of others to help bring it to life and to implement it. Um, so for me, being self-made absolutely does exist and it's an extremely important moment in somebody's life. Uh, and that's it. So, yeah, that's the definition. I love that, man. I think a lot of uh, limitations that we have in life are based around poor decisions. And I like oh, that you sure. said it's like making that decision to, you know, move on and to, to, to take that chance. I love that. No one's going to become financially free or, or be able to quit their job if they're going to approach that kind of shift in a half-hearted manner. It takes 100% uh, of, of a commitment level. It's not 90, it's not 99. It's a literally 100% commitment level. And so it's a huge freaking deal. That's a huge risk. It's very scary and it requires an incredible amount of courage and commitment. And, you know, that needs to be honored because there's very few people in the world who are willing to do that. And, and then to stick through it for year after year after year after year of not getting results. Um, and for me, I made that decision when I uh, was in college and uh, there was no going back. I was either going to become an entrepreneur or I was, I was literally going to die trying, but I could never relegate myself to going out and having a job and working for somebody else. Uh, I just could, I couldn't do it. I, uh, it wasn't possible. So I think that's what's required and anything less than that, you'll quit. You'll get frustrated and you'll quit. Yeah. It sounds like you're addicted to success. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. Beats the alternative. That's for sure. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So Mike, uh, where can we find you online? Uh, just real easy, MikeDillard.com. I've got everything that I'm, I'm kind of up to uh, on there. I've got uh, a really cool video about the story of Evergrow uh, that I released a month or two ago when I decided to pull the plug. And it has a, it's about 10 or 15 minutes from start to finish and, and shows off the system. And, and I think it's a very, very important video for young entrepreneurs to see because not everything is going to work. And all of my businesses, for the most part, uh, have worked. So this is the first, you know, if you can call it a failure, failure that I've had. And it was very public because I'd been talking about it for two years and expectations were super high. And so maybe the lesson for folks is how do you lose gracefully? <laughs> um, and you know, I could have just kind of let it die or, or kept putting it off or whatever, but no, i made a 15 minute video to admit to people that, you know, my plans did not work out as, uh, as they intended. And, you know, a hundred thousand people have seen it and it's like, eh. you know, but, uh, if you read the comments under the video, I think you'll see the result of that, uh, which will be a really telling lesson for folks. So. Yeah. Beautiful, mate. Uh, it would be tough. It'd be tough to just have that in your world for years and talk about it and then have to, have to just be honest with yourself and go, you know what? I can't proceed with this. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It takes a lot of courage to do that too. Instead yeah. of going down that road and going, well, I'm going to keep, you know, wasting money. I saw it and I was like, that's pretty gangster. I, I liked it. I was like, man, I'm thinking I might get one too. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so it's, it's a shame. Freaking cool, man. It's freaking cool. But you know, the, uh, there are other people who are, are doing a better job and who are hundred percent committed um, and more skilled in that realm than I was. And, uh, what I, what ended up happening, you'll, you'll hear about it at the end of the video. Uh, but I just ended up investing in that other company. So uh, okay. 
I can support the mission and now give my talents from a marketing perspective to them and still, you know, have a win in that world and then push that agenda forward. Um, but it's not me leading the charge, if you will, anymore. So if you can't beat them, join them, right? That's, it, exactly that's good. It. That yeah. you were supposed to be on the path you're on now. It yeah. just, it just gave you yeah. a bit of a, you know, deviated you back into the place you're supposed to be. So that's yeah. really cool. Awesome stuff. Mike, we always end uh, every interview with this last question. All right. And this last question is if you Shut were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Yeah, I thought it was going to be vanilla or chocolate. Darn it. <laughs> um, God, what would it, what would it be like? Um, man. Yeah. You, you throw your parting advice. Yeah. You do yeah. throw a doozy out there. Um, <laughs> You know, I don't know exactly how I, I would articulate it, but my biggest concern, my biggest concern with the world these days is that the values that lead to success in every area of life, whether it's financial or business or relationships or whatever it may be, are uh, disappearing in my mind. It's one of the reasons why I started the podcast. Um, you look at where we should be going specifically here in the United States from a societal perspective, where this should be an unbelievable time of abundance and innovation for all. And whoever you want to point the finger at, you point the finger at, but there's a very large part of society and unfortunately growing part of society that's more interested in, in pointing the finger and fighting and playing the victim mentality or dealing with race or whatever it may be. And it's focusing this whole new generation's attention on all of these little petty topics that are irrelevant, not only irrelevant, but they're harmful and, uh, and moving are moving people in the opposite direction. So, you know, I would just say the world will go, the world is just like a company. A country is just like a company. And the fact that it will uh, follow the values of the leadership in that country and the leadership, and I'm not talking about the president here uh, at all. I'm talking about, because that's, you know, that can change every four years. Um, but the leaders behind the corporations we have in Congress and Senate in Washington in general, the values that used to make this country amazing and you know world war ii like integrity and a work ethic and uh appreciating your work and the quality of work that you produce is all has all go it's gone for the most part um and that's a very dangerous that's a very dangerous uh direction uh for society to take so if i had 30 seconds to discuss that i would i would talk about that and defining the value set that you want for your family, for your business, for your country, for your community, uh, which is essentially what the constitution did here for the United States initially. And now it's just being, uh, it's just not being respected for what it used to be because so much time has gone by and people don't realize how, uh, how important it is or why it was created. And you can see the end results of that here today. And it's changing very, very fast here in the U S uh, and it's very scary to watch from an entrepreneur seat. Um, so it would be something along those lines. It would be something along the lines of being very aware of the conversations that are being had and the values that are being promoted in, uh, in your, your neighborhood and your society these days.